This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That I'm joined on Football CFB today by Andy Payton, formerly of Burnley, Celtic, Middlesbrough, a few other clubs as well. First of all, Andy, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem, Callum. Yeah, looking forward to it, pal. The first question I've got for you, lots of Celtic fans, Middlesbrough fans, Burnley fans, fans of your other clubs will be interested to know. Some of them might not know. What is it you're up to now in your life after playing football? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> good question. No, I'm I'm actually a football coach. Um, I work at the local college in Burnley, um, and uh, I've gone through my badges um, right up to UEFA license level. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. I, I do loads of football coaching with kids, and obviously students down at the college. And uh, and yeah, and I've you know I've got quite up to a quite decent qualification there. So yeah, that's what I'm doing at this moment in time. Do you have any ambition to to be a manager in the senior game at all in the future? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I see myself more as a coach. Um, I feel as though, um, you know, with all my playing experience, um, I mean, I had 21 years. I played 500 games. Um, you know, I played for Celtic and, and, and Burnley and, you know, and, and Hull City, clubs like that, Middlesbrough. Um, and I scored a lot of goals. So, I mean, I'm sure I could add a hell of a lot to uh, you know to any coaching any any coaching squad at any level, and because I've got the badges behind me as well, I feel as though yeah, I mean, but I mean you know what it's like, it, it's tough. I mean, I think there's 92 clubs, um, probably have about 10 coaches each, so it's under a thousand jobs. So um, you know, if you manage as a mate, you've got a chance, haven't you? Otherwise, it's tough. Well, that's very true, and and I wish you all the best with the coaching. I want to rewind to your youth. What was it? What was your upbringing like? Who were your first footballing heroes, and who was your boyhood club? Well, I mean, I was brought up, um, you know, in and around Burnley, um, in a town called Paddyham, just a couple of miles outside of Burnley. Um, I always supported Burnley Football Club as a kid. Um, I started playing football at junior school. Um, signed for Burnley at fourteen. Um, obviously, Burnley was my boyhood club. I used to go to all the games. Um, but unfortunately, at 16, I got released from Burnley, um, and I, I wrote away for trials at a lot of clubs, and I got one reply of Hull City, who offered me a trial, and and I went over there, um, and they took me on to give me an apprenticeship, a one-year YTS, and I left home at 16 and um, started my football journey um, at Hull City. You mentioned the YTS scheme there, completely different to academy football now. Was that something that was a really good experience for you, doing the jobs, getting to know the senior pros? Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you couldn't sign for a club back then um, until you were 14 years old. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of clubs now, and I've worked in a couple of academies, and, 
you know, they, they're taking kids, um, you know, five, six-year-olds. And, you know, you've got to think about the stats, you know, for in academies, for academy players making it into the first team. And it's something like 0.125. For 99% of kids uh, that are in academies at professional football clubs are going to get released. So, it's, you know, it's a tough, tough upbringing. I mean, the YTS um, was something that the government did. You got 25 quid a week um, and you got your digs paid. I, I moved it to Hull. So I had to leave home at 16 and I went over to Hull and moved in with an old couple who looked after me for five years. And um, and money at the time, it wasn't about money because we didn't have any. I mean, um, you know, I think I got taken on after the first year um, and I got £2.50 rise up to £27.50. Um, and I signed my first pro contract at 18 on 70 quid a week. Um, and I was worse off because they had to pay me on digs. So it certainly wasn't about money then, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, you got training with the first team and that. And, and I made my name at Hull and the whole role was in the championship, you know, when I was there. You mentioned the fact Hull were always in the, the championship at that time. And the obvious question is, what do you remember about your debut and what was it like playing at Boothbury Park? Because we're all aware of, of Hull's stadium now, the KC or KCOM stadium. It's very fancy and modern, but Boothbury, uh, sorry, Boothbury Park was was uh, very, very different. Yeah, I mean, Boothbury Park, I mean, obviously it's not there anymore, but it holds great memories for me because um, Hull, Hull gave me my chance. You know, from 16 to 22, um, I went right through the youth system into the reserves um, and I made it into the first team at 19. Um, I scored on my debut. We beat Leeds United 3-1 at home uh, in front of 18,000. I scored after two minutes, believe it or not. Uh, we won 3-1. Uh, I've, I've done all right. I progressed through the ranks and sort of been top scoring the reserves for a couple of seasons. And, uh, you know, Hull became my club because they'd given me a chance. You know, and I'd, I'd sort of stopped supporting Burnley then because, I mean, Burnley released me. And um, and I was given a chance at Hull, and I never envisaged that I'd ever end up back at Burnley again. Um, so yeah, Hull City was a you know a really you know it was a, a really tough learning curve as well because you got training with the senior pros, and it was Championship football, and um, you know it was tough back in the day. Um, and I, I started scoring goals for the first team, and uh, I got 25 league goals in the Championship when we finished bottom, and. Uh, I got started, I was only 21 and I started to get a lot of interest um, off a lot of other clubs, including Celtic. But Hull City always are always right up there for me um, because they gave me my chance. And Brian Horton and Dennis Booth, the coaches, you know, were magnificent. What were the who were the big senior pros during your time at Hull? Because you mentioned the fact that you were young and you scored 17 goals in 89-90, follow that up with 25 goals in 1991 when the club, as you say, gets relegated. But who were the senior pros that helped you along in that team as well as Brian as the manager? Well, we had big Billy Whitehurst up front. Uh, Billy was um, probably the toughest, the hardest football I've ever come across. Billy was, but he was also a good player. But uh, yeah, so big Billy Whitehurst with Peter Skipper, centre-off, Peter passed away last year, um, unfortunately, but he was a great influence. We also had Keith Edwards up front, who was one of the best finishers I've ever seen in my life. Um, I think Keith got 
32 goals in the championship when he won the Golden Boot, and he was a magnificent finisher. But we had uh, Steve McLaren, who ended up going on to manage England. Um, and I, I mean, I missed out so many players, but uh, I was also an apprentice with Dean Windus, and Dean had a great career. Um, yeah, so there were some very good players at Old City at the time, and uh, you know, I learned so much from that club. And I'll be honest with you, I just signed a three-year contract, and I was quite happy there. It was when we got relegated that they came to me and said that they had to sell me due to uh, financial reasons. And um, yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough came in and I ended up going there and uh, and uh, and then ended up Celtic after Middlesbrough. But um, yeah, I mean, Hull City for me, um, great club. Before we go on to Middlesbrough, I want to ask you the question. You score what, 42 goals over two seasons in the league from 89 to 91. See, at that time, see, because you are so young, are you going into every game with no fear, no matter who you're playing against? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you start believing in yourself when you start scoring goals. And I mean, 25 league goals for a club that finished bottom. And I'm not bigging myself up here, but it's, it's quite an achievement, really, because, you know, you, I think there was only a couple, I think I finished fourth in the top scorers. And all the other three players um, were sort of in, you know, international squads. Um so, yeah, I mean, 25, I think that 25 league goal still stands, actually, to this day. I don't think anyone's beat it since. But, uh, yeah, you've got to believe in yourself. And as a striker, a young striker coming through, you know, you've got to believe that you can score goals. And when you start doing it, you do believe in yourself. And I know it's attracting a lot of attention because, obviously, um, being so young and getting so many goals at that time, um, you know, you do. You start hearing clubs, you know, coming to watch, etc. I remember Liam Brady coming down to Hull and watching me and trying to do a deal after the game, one of the games, but Hull um, wanted a bit more money and um, Middlesbrough came in and I ended up going there. But um, and I, I, It's a funny one, the Middlesbrough, because I scored two minutes into my debut for them as well, but I got injured and um, I was out for quite a while and I only, I only very limited appearances up there. I scored three goals and we got promotion to the Premier League. But um, yeah, it was a tough time for me because... I'd, it was the first time I'd have ever had any sort of injuries and um, I was mostly injured at Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough, yeah, as you say, a, a tough time with injuries and I want to ask you about the old Ayrson Park. I, I, feel, I know I'm going down memory lane with this, but again, another club that when you played for them didn't play in the big shiny new stadium, the Riverside, that, that people of my generation are used to. What was that ground like to play at when you got the chance to play there? Well, it was very much like, you know, like Turf Moor, like Boothley Park, like most of the grounds were then, you know. Um, I mean, a lot of the grounds haven't really been done up, you know, um, even like going to like the Ellen Road and, and I don't know, massive atmosphere and, um, and yeah, I mean, I think definitely more atmosphere, but I mean, Middlesbrough had a really good... Oh, yeah, great atmosphere. Um, and, and yeah, like you say, I mean, I, I think a lot of the clubs, like, you know, like Middlesbrough going to the Riverside, lose a bit of atmosphere. But yeah, I mean, uh, they're always a good, solid championship side. Um, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have gone there. I think I should have waited a little bit longer. But we did get promotion. And like I said, I scored, I mean, I went there for a record fee. And so you've got a lot of pressure on you and obviously nerves and everything else. And I got put clean through you know, two minutes into the game, we beat Bristol City 3-1. 
and I scored and the crowd went absolutely berserk because, uh, you know, I was like the record signing, so it took all the pressure off. But like I say, getting injured, I was in the treatment room for two months and uh, and I was also cup tied in two cup competitions um, and they had really, I think they got to the semis in both. Um, but I, I mean, I played, I, I, like I say, I scored three goals in eight games, I think it was in eight starts. Um, and a lot of the time I was on the bench, but um, yeah, it was still great to get promotion to the Premier League, you know. Um, so yeah, um, I enjoyed my time there really, even though it was short-lived. You mentioned the fact that short-lived and, and there's injuries. One of the players I want to ask you about is the legendary Bernie Slaven, a fellow striker. What was your relationship like with him and did you learn anything at all from him considering you were young and up and coming at that stage? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Bernie was a great character. Really, really one of the most welcoming players um, you know, I've come across. He's, he's a great lad. And also, he was flying at the time. Good player. So, um, yeah, I mean, when I made my debut, it, me and Bernie was up front. And, um, yeah, Bernie, um, yeah, you learn things off. As a young striker coming through, you've got to learn off the older players. I mean, Keith Edwards, uh, Bernie Slave, and, you know, I went up to Celtic, obviously we haven't got there yet, but, you know, they had Charlie Nicholas, Frank McAvenny up there. And if you don't learn off players of this calibre, then there's something wrong, and I certainly did. Um, and, and, and Bernie was definitely, we had John Hendry as well. Um, Paul Paul Wilkinson with Stuart Ripley with some really good players at Middlesbrough but yeah Bernie was superb great character as well You mentioned learning from the likes of Bernie Slaven there you mentioned the fact that when you go to Celtic there's big characters you mentioned McAvenny Nicholas when you get there how did the move to Celtic come about? Well it came I mean I'll be honest with you I know they made an offer for me when I was at home and it didn't come off or wanted a bit more um, the move to Celtic came about um, Middlesbrough were struggling a little bit for defenders and um, Derek White and Chris Morris came the other way and I went up to Celtic so Celtic renewed their interest in me I think Chris uh, and Derek had wanted to move on or whatever and, and obviously Middlesbrough had gone up to the Premier League so they were looking at Premier League football so it was just a good move for everybody concerned I mean when I um when I went up to Celtic for talks, um, the agent at the time was Eddie Gray, uh, and Eddie Gray's son Stuart was 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 a young pro at Celtic. But I mean, um, yeah, I mean it's a magnificent club. So I started, I mean I wanted to sign straight away as soon as I got sat in front of Liam Brady and saw the ground and you know the history of the club. I mean, uh, for a boy from Paddington to uh, who got released, you know, by Burnley at 16 to be going to Celtic. Uh, was a big thing in my eyes and uh, you know I'm really proud of the fact that I got the opportunity to play for Celtic because I love the club You mentioned the fact that it, from coming from a, a small town like yourself that getting the chance to play for the club the size of Celtic was a great honour am I right in saying you signed for the club on the exact same day as Rudy Vata? Yeah, that's correct Rudy Vata and Stuart Slater we all signed on the same day Um yeah, Rudy was a great lad, so was Stuart. Um, it was a funny one, really, because I was in the hotel with Rudy and he could not speak one word of English. Um, so there was my Burnley accent and Rudy's Albanian, so that was quite funny. Uh, we were trying to speak <laughs> to each other over breakfast and uh, doing it in sign language, really. But, yeah, he's a great lad. And, and like I say, I'll be honest with you, my first day at Celtic, I walked into that dressing room 
Charlie Nicholas, Frank McAvenny, Paul McStay, John Collins, Packy Bonner, Gary Gillespie, Tony Mowbray. The list goes on. Creaney, I can keep going. Every single player in that dressing room is an international. And when you've got the likes of Paul McStay, John Collins, Charlie Nicholas, Frank McAvenny, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I thought, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Um, you've got to get with the programme really quickly, especially as a striker, and um, and start trying to score goals. And um, fortunately, you know, I did that. And, um, and you know, my time up there, I think I, I was involved in 46 games and I got 20 goals. Um, but it was just... And also European football, I mean, come on. Um, I remember we were 2-0 down against Cologne and uh, I played the second leg at Celtic Park at Parkhead, obviously, in front of the full house and we won 3-0. Um, I remember, you know, the old firm game, uh, getting the winner, um, you know, against Rangers, a good Rangers side as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I look at my time at Celtic, you know, with, a, with so much pride. Uh, because I was still a young kid, really, and... Um, just magnificent club, you know, in the history. We got to meet, you know, the Lions, you know, Lisbon Lions. And, um, I mean, Bobby Lennox was one of the coaches there at the time. And I think he was like my striker coach. And you're looking at a European Cup winner here, you know what I mean? And, and a legend. So everything about the club. Liam Brady, look at Liam Brady's career. Certainly as a player. And, you know, just fantastic times up there. I absolutely loved it up there. You know, I mean, the support up there is magnificent. You mentioned the support. You also mentioned playing in the old Fern games, scoring the winner as well. What was it like playing in those games? Because the atmosphere is just like nothing else, really. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, I'll be honest with you. So, very surreal. Trevor Stephen used to... I mean, Trevor Stephen was at Rangers, who I think he got over 50 caps for England. He was one of my favourite players down at Burnley. He was at Burnley as a kid. I remember getting his autograph once. And, and then, you know, years later, you know, what, eight, nine years later, me walking out to an old firm game at Parkhead and Trevor Stevens playing for Rangers. Um, but like I say, you've got to get with the programme. Back in the day, you know, players were kicking lumps out of each other. I remember the, the, the game where I got the winner. I'd, I'd gone off. I had five stitches in the head. Um, I think it might have been Richard Goff. I'm not sure. Somebody elbowed me anyway um, off not off the ball, just it was just a clash, I think, anyway. But I've, I've gone off, got stitched up, come back on, big lump of Vaseline on my head. And um, you get on with it, don't you? But, I mean, the, the, the games back then, I mean, it was, you know, they were 200 miles an hour and players were absolutely kicking lumps out of each other. And the crowd, I think there were 30,000, you know, Celtic and, uh, sorry, Rangers had filled up the full away end and um, electric atmosphere. Probably the only game I've ever played in where you can't hear your teammates, you know, shouting on the pitch because it's so much noise. I can only imagine what it must be like because, as obviously being based in Scotland, the atmosphere and the the hype around those games is absolutely insane. What's the build up like? Is it is it hard to handle because you know what it's like in Glasgow? Anywhere you go when you play for either Celtic or Rangers, you attract attention. Of course you do. It's, I mean, we got. I mean, straight away, the hype, you know, the pressure on it the week before. Um, so the build-up to the game is absolutely massive. Um, you know how big the games are up there, even to this day. And, you know, back, it don't matter whether it were 80 years ago, 20 years ago, or to present day, you know, those games mean so much up there. 
And a lot of people down south think that, you know, you know, it's a poor standard and poor this and poor that. You know, I look at the programmes uh, and the team sheets, you know, from my time up there, and there were world-class players on each team, you know, and quite a few of them. You know, I mean, the standard in the old firm games is massive. Um, the build-up, you've got to get with the programme, otherwise, you know, you, you'll just curl up in a ball and die. And you can't do that, you know. I mean, um, one of the proudest moments in my career was, uh, um, you know, scoring in the old firm, obviously getting a winner because, you know, it's every striker's dream who, who plays the Celtic. You know, you want to do that. And, um, you know, the players that I had around me, but like I say, if you don't, you know, if you're not good enough, you, you know, you're out the side, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I mean, incredible atmosphere. Probably not been matched um, anywhere else. And also, like I say, the European nights was something else. As you say, the atmosphere just is something else. It's world-renowned, as you know, and having played in it, I mean, it must be even more special to you in that regard. I want to talk to you about the big characters you mentioned. Frank McAvenny and Charlie Nicholas first. Top, top players, but characters well-known for some off-the-field antics as well. Just what was it like playing with those guys? Because they played, obviously, the same position as yourself. Well, you look at the careers, Charlie Nicholas and Frank McAvenny, absolute world-class players. Char- you know what Charlie did for Celtic, and also going down to... He was only 21, I think, when he went down to Arsenal. Uh, international players, quality players, you know. Um, the only thing I'm interested in, you know, is, is what they gave me on the pitch. You know, they helped me. You know, I, I, I watched them every day in training, and, and ultimately I was trying how to play. You know, I mean, if the manager was, was playing two up front, it, you know... I, I might be vying for a position, you know, with them. Um, I mean, they've been unbelievably successful off the field, so I, I, I'm, I'm not interested in anything else off the field. Um, they were just superb role models for me and, and fantastic players, and you can put them in any side. I mean, Charlie came down to uh, to Arsenal, scored two goals in a cup final, if I remember rightly, and yet people said he wasn't a success. But, uh, yeah, world-class players, absolutely. And John Collins as well. You know, and, and not just... I mean, look at Paul McStay. Has there been a better midfield player? You know, I, he's, he's the best I've come across anyway. Um, and, you know, fantastic world-class players. You mentioned the fact that so many fantastic world-class players. Just how good is Paul McStay when you play and train with him every day? Paul was unbelievable. I, I play with a lot of midfield players. Good, you know, good midfield players. Paul McStay was exceptional. I think Paul McStay could have gone anywhere. You know, everybody knows his, his loyalty to Celtic Football Club. Clubs were trying to buy Paul left, right and centre. The massive clubs. He could have gone to Liverpool, United and, and, you know, anywhere. Any of the big London clubs. Anywhere in Europe and anywhere in the world. And Sean, because he was unbelievable. Fantastic player. Unbelievable touch. Um, you know, he saw things. You've seen it yourself. You don't need me to explain Paul McStay to you. But uh, yeah, unbelievable player, and 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 also what an absolutely brilliant, you know, he, he could see straight away on my first day how nervous I was. That he put my mind at rest, you know. He came over, he spoke to me, and he was just just a world class gentleman, you know, as well as a player. You mentioned the fact that a world class player, a world class gentleman. I mean, Liam Brady is the manager, an incredible world class player. Someone who just, you know what it's like, 
was well-renowned, world-renowned, played abroad. As a manager, not as successful, but was he still someone that you learned an awful lot from? Well, listen, I mean, he showed faith in me and he brought me to Celtic. And let's be honest, you know, when I first came, a lot of people probably thought, who's this, you know? Um, and because I'd come, you know, from Hull City and then Middlesbrough, but he gave me my chance. And at the end of the day, my goal-scoring return at Celtic was good. Listen, you, you look at players like Henrik Larson, you know what I mean? I'm not even, I'm not even put myself in the bracket of Henrik Larson because it was a, that's what you're talking world class. But I mean, Liam Brady brought me in as a young player, probably to learn off the, you know, top strikers what we had. We also had Jerry Creaney alongside me, and Jerry was similar age to me and a great player as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think listen, I've got nothing but praise for Liam Brady because he gave me my chance. And and uh, brought me to Celtic, but um, I understand what you mean. I mean, it doesn't always work out for people at management uh, management level. But um, yeah, I mean, just a fantastic guy and world class in every sense of you know of everything. You, that that's something that obviously intrigues me. The the stature of him and. And, and he's obviously, as we, as we talked about, maybe not in his managerial career, but as a player, absolutely second to none. What impresses me when you look at your Celtic record, Andy, is the fact that you you didn't start lots of games in a row consecutively, but whenever you did get on the pitch, you scored goals. Yeah, I mean, you know, I gave it my best shot, obviously. I worked really hard. Um, I tried to learn off the players that were there and also the fitness regime, what they had up there. I mean, I remember my first day, I went in nine o'clock in the morning and John Collins was already in the gym, you know, doing like 500 parallel bar dips and, and what have you. And he had a 16-pack, did John? He didn't just have a six-pack, he had a 16-pack, you know what I mean? And they, they made me up my game and, and I, I tried, you know, I, I think one thing's up there, the fans knew that I did my best and I worked hard. And my goal-scoring record is good. I mean, like, like I say, I actually finished top scorer that season um, obviously, if I'd have had more uh, appearances, then I'm sure I'd have got more goals. But um, honestly, I, I absolutely loved my time up there. And one of my biggest regrets, really, was leaving the club. Um, you know, I mean, Liam Brady uh, got sacked. We, you know, Rangers at the time were stronger, as 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 um, Celtic are stronger at this moment in time. You know how it works. And and Liam lost his job, and Louis McCauley came in, and. For one reason or another, Lou just didn't fancy me. So I ended up in the reserves and I was scoring goals in the reserves but not getting a chance. And um, one of my biggest regrets in football, leaving Celtic. You know, you don't leave Celtic, but I'd just gone about two months without playing first-team football. And, um, I, you know, I got some offers from down south and, and Barnsley came in and uh, I ended up going there. No disrespect for Barnsley, but you compare the crowds and the size, stature of the club and everything else. Um, but I went to Barnsley. I had a couple of seasons there and I scored almost 50 goals for him and we did OK in the championship again. Um, and I enjoyed my time at Barnsley, but, you know, in comparison with Celtic, no comparison whatsoever. In terms of Barnsley, you get the move there. Celtic decide to go for Wayne Biggins. Now, a, a man who, when he's mentioned to Celtic fans, just sparks kind of anger in the sense that he wasn't the player who Celtic fans thought was going to take the club forward and he didn't really have the best time there. Obviously, I'm not asking you to dig out another professional. I, would, I wouldn't do that. But 
looking at how he got on at Celtic, did it not frustrate you in the sense that you'd have backed yourself to have continued to play well at Celtic if given the chance to stay? Well, I think Lungwood had um, Wayne at Stoke and he'd done really, well, really, really well for him. So, I mean, managers like to bring their own players in and, and Wayne Bingham's had a really good career, but a lot of people, a lot of strikers go up to Celtic and they can't handle it, you know, because it, it's not just like, it's a, it's a big club, you know, obviously, uh, with a big crowd and a big history and everything else. And there's been a lot of strikers. You probably, there's probably a long list of them that's gone up there and not, I don't think Wayne actually scored a goal for Celtic. I'm not sure. But I mean, a lot that will have happened to a lot of strikers, um, you know, because they can't handle the pressure or whatever, or it do not work out for them. But I mean, I know he had a great career. So yeah, like you say, I would never um, dig another pro out. But I mean, that was, Lou McCauley thought Wayne would do better than me up there. And it's all about opinions, isn't it? And um, like I say, Barnes played Danny Wilson and Viv Anderson, um, Simon and, and we, Barnes he had a really good squad, and we were always you know top you know sort of top eight championship at both seasons I was there, and um, you know we were unlucky. And it's funny you know because the season I left, because Huddersfield came in for me, and um, Brian Hort, my old manager. Um, I mean I finished top scorer two seasons on the bounce at, at Barnsley. Um, and then when I left, Barnes they ended up going up to Premier League. So <laughs> I made a bad decision there. Although I I, I enjoyed my season at Huddersfield, um, and I finished top scorer there as well. I got 19 goals in the league. But I, I think that I was always destined to go back to Burnley Football Club, and and that's exactly what came about. And uh, you know I wouldn't swap my time at Burnley, being a Burnley lad, uh, for anything because obviously we got promotion. I was top scorer three years off bounce. I won the Golden Boots, and I, you know, I scored eighty odd goals for Burnley. Um, so yeah, I think everything, you know, it always finds a way. I think it did with me, but I will never forget my time at Celtic Football Club because uh, it's one of the proudest things that you know to say that I, I played for them, but I also scored goals for them. You mentioned the fact that you, Burnley for you was was a big moment for you. Something that I think is always interesting, it's happened with, with a few other players where you get released there as a kid and then you go back. Did that give you an added edge, do you think, to be as successful as you were at Burnley? Well, it was funny, you know, because when I went to Barnsley, so the first season at Barnsley, Burnley had just got promotion back into the Championship. And I, I had never played a game at Turf Moor. So my... I think the Burnley's third home game of the season was Burnley v Barnsley. So I, my first ever game at Turf Moor was for Barnsley. Everybody, I was still living in Burnley. I'd moved back down to Burnley, obviously after I'd left Celtic. And I was travelling into Barnsley sort of thing. But um, there were 18,000 on and um, Burnley nil, Barnsley won. Obviously, well, it wasn't obvious, but I scored the goal. Um, but what I didn't do, I didn't celebrate. Um, it was a header, so I've headed across in, and I've just walked back to the halfway line. I think the Burnley fans who knew me anyway um, respected and remembered that. And I also scored in the. Uh, we played him at Barnsley and beaten two 0 at Barnsley, and I scored again. So my first experience of, of playing at Turf Moor was for another club, but I'd always loved the club as a kid, and I know they rejected me, but you still want to, you know, yeah, I, I still wanted to play for the club if that makes sense. And um, 
and then when I got the opportunity, um, you know, uh, everything worked out. You know, I mean, some players go to the hometown club and it doesn't work out, you know, but it did for me, and um, and I was I was able to keep scoring, and I was lucky throughout my career that I mean I ended up with 230 goals uh, in roundabout. I mean that was it was over 200 league goals, but it was 230. I mean as a striker, you keep track on the goals you scored. And um, to get over 200 goals as a striker, I'm, I'm happy with. But I finished top scorer at five out of my six clubs. It was only Middlesbrough that I didn't. So, you know, um, I think it was destiny, really. I think destiny is something that I would agree with in the sense that, as you say, I just love a feel-good story in football. And yourself, when you were at Burnley, really was a schoolboy. Uh, schoolboy was a really was a feel-good story, considering that, as you say, when you were a schoolboy, you get released there and then you go back as a, an established pro and 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 as you say you you, you prove your, more than prove yourself and get the goals and, and win promotion and have a successful time there. I spoke recently to your former teammate Steve Davis and and he talked about Stan Ternan and the and the, his managerial style being really all focused on being a really good man manager and also being hands on as well when he wanted to be. What was it like for you? Well, I knew Stan because obviously Stan, I mean, Stan lives in Burnley, obviously, and I do, so I've known Stan anyway. Stan also managed at Hull City for a while, um, so I knew what Stan was like. Stan Turner, you think of Stan's managerial career. I mean, before he came to Burnley, he'd kept Bury in the Championship. Now, just think about that now, you know, to keep Bury in the Championship, to get Bury to the Championship is, is an incredible achievement, but to keep them there, so that just shows you what calibre of manager Stan was. Um, so I knew that when Stan came to Burnley, um, what what he was going to turn it round because we'd had Chris Waddle and Chris Waddle, I've got nothing but praise for Chris Waddle because he signed me for Burnley. Chris obviously had been, you know, had, had an international career and played for some of the absolute top clubs in the world. I think he played, you know, for Marseille and everything else. And... Um, he probably struggled a little bit at Burnley because the standard wasn't what he was used to, you know, um, and ultimately he didn't have success there. Um, whereas when Stan came in, I mean, he, he just turned it around completely. You know, he, he changed the playing staff around and with, within, well, in Stan's second season, um, you know, we, we got promotion. He steadied the chip, first of all. I got 23 in the first season he was here, and then I got 27. So I got 50 goals in Stan's first two seasons, and we went back to the championship. So I played a, quite a big part. But, um, yeah, Stan, brilliant man manager. And um, no messing about with Stan. You know, I mean, players need a strong manager who, who they can look up to and know that, you know, they've got to adhere to all the rules, etc. And, and Stan was certainly in that bracket. But it was, it was also a fantastic coach as well. You mentioned the fact he was a fantastic coach, which is is great to hear because again he was part of that success too. And you know what it's like as a club gets more successful, you can sign higher profile players. And one of the players you played alongside was was Ian Wright as a striker. Just just how good was that considering the the standing that he had in football? Well, it was funny because Wright had come from Celtic, so he'd, he'd gone up to Celtic for a while. So the Ian Wright was was a legend. I mean, Ian Wright in his prime. At Arsenal, Palace as a kid in Arsenal, it was absolutely phenomenal, unbelievable. Probably one of the best strikers, you know, this country's ever produced. So Ian was coming to the end of his career when he signed for Burnley. Um, he gave us all a massive lift 
Um, he only came in a couple of days a week because I think he had a TV show on at the time. Um, he, I got actually, I got suspended. I got sent off one game, and we signed Ian. Um, he, he came and sort of took my place um, while I was suspended. I mean, you've got Ian Wright taking your place, and uh, and it, you know, I mean. He got four goals in his time here. A couple of them were crucial. Um, but it, it was the lift he gave the dressing room. It was absolutely unbelievable. He's a fantastic character. Um, life and soul. You've seen him on TV and everything else. And he just gave the whole... It was a brilliant signing from Stan because he just gave us just that lift what we needed because a lot of clubs go down to the um, to League One from the Championship and they get stuck there. You know, you look at likes of Sunderland now and, and other clubs have done it for years. So to get out of League One and get back to the championship. The club have never looked back since. And uh, it was a really, really crucial, true signing off uh, of Stan. And Ian Wright, he's a legend. I mean, things he were doing in training, beyond belief, you know. So, yeah, fantastic for me to even uh, be in the same team as Ian Wright. Being in the same team as him is something that, again, most most players would, would love to have been because even though he was coming to the twilight of his career, the ability that he had and the drive that he had and his story going from non-league to, to Premier League is just incredible. And what I want to ask you about, Andy, is your spell at Burnley overall, you've got the golden boots, you've got the promotion, you're adored by the fans. Just how do you reflect on that spell at Burnley? Because is that the spell that, along with Celtic maybe, that's the proudest time of your career? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll always start with Hull City because they gave me my chance. Um... And to go to Hull City at 16 on a YTS and then to be their record sale, you know, a few years, what, six, seven years later, still ranks up there, really. And also getting 25 league goals for the team that finishes bottom of the championship, you know, it's still still, still ranked highly. Obviously Celtic, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also came to Burnley in a swap deal. So there was no money involved, which is incredible, really, because I've just got 19 goals in the championship for Huddersfield. And they got a new manager who, once again, didn't fancy me and let me go on a swap. I was only 29, so I was, I was just coming into my prime. So Burnley got, you know, a player that had scored regular goals in the championship in League One. The only thing is, obviously, from my point of view, because I went to school with everyone around here and I moved back. Sorry, I was already living here and everyone knew me. Um, I was expected to produce and that always puts pressure on you obviously when you've got to produce goals and it doesn't always work out for players but fortunately for me it did and um, yeah I mean proudest moment of my career I mean when we when we got promotion I mean I won the golden boot I'm top scorer player of the season voted you know by the fans um, it can't get any better than that I mean the next season we went up championship and I finished top scorer again so for me, scoring goals from my hometown club, I got 81 for Burnley in total. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. And, I, you know, I mean, the club have a thing where they've got former players, they have the picture on the outside of the ground. And I'm fortunate to get, you know, to have been chosen for one of them. And uh, and I think Burnley fans know just how much, um, how much the club meant to me and still does. You mentioned it still does mean a lot to you. And before we come to that... I want to ask you about retiring from football. I've spoken to, to many ex-players on the podcast and some of them have said that when it came to retiring from football and as the body weakened down, it was really tough mentally for them. 
but some others have said it wasn't really tough for them because they knew it was time to end and move on to something else in a new chapter. How did you handle retirement and, and how did you look back in your career as a whole? Because to be fair, wherever you've been, you've scored goals. Well, looking back on my career, first of all, I mean, I've got to be happy because um, from Hull City, Barnsley, Huddersfield, um, obviously Middlesbrough and Celtic uh, and Burnley, I, I was top scorer at all my clubs apart from the time at Middlesbrough and I scored, a, you know, two minutes into my debut. So I, I, I'm pleased with the career, you know. The hardest part for me was accepting that it was over because I was 37 when I finished at Burnley. So basically, in my head, I was still a player. But in realistic terms, at 37, it's over. And you've got to come to terms with the fact that it's over. Um, a lot of players do the coaching badges as they're coming towards the end of the career. I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to because in my head, I was still a player. I still thought I could do it. But you're not going to get picked on a regular basis at 37 years old. That is a fact. Uh, you've got to get used to the fact that it's over. Um, I find that very difficult. Um, so probably from 37 to 42, uh, I struggled mentally, um, very depressed, um, drinking a lot. I actually went to Eton, um around about eight years ago and, and um, because I, I struggled and couldn't handle the fact that I was no longer a professional footballer. But it wasn't just that. It was it was the you know the day to day things. For me, your identity goes because I live in the town and everybody that knew me uh, knew me as Andy Payton who scored goals for Burnley. Then all of a sudden, it was like, well, you're never going to be that person again. So it was an identity thing. I think the PFA are helping players a lot more now than what they did then because for me there was no help there really. But you can't get your violin out because to other people. Who, who would have done anything to have your job, they think that, uh, you, you know, you, you're just being soft or whatever. But it's tough, you know. Um, so for me, um, I went to Eto'o and it changed my life because I've done all my coaching badges since then and, and, and life's really good. But I was in some dark places at the time and it was a lot of it was um, due to the fact that um, football was over, as it were. Because once you walk through that, dressing room door, that player's entrance for the last time, you're not going down it again. You're not playing on that pitch again. And and it's tough, you know. I mean, and I think the the, the proof that a lot of footballers have, uh, former footballers, when they come to the end of the career struggle, you know, it wasn't just me. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, luckily I came through that. And, um, and I've been able to get on with my life. Because I know there have been you know, footballers in the past that uh, have committed suicide, you know, um, due to due to that. Um, but like I say, I mean, I like to try and, you know, spread the word a little bit and try and help people if I can. Um, and, and that's what I do as well, you know, and speak about my experience. Um, and for me, life's a lot better, you know, without alcohol. We've talked earlier on about the fact that you're doing coaching now in the academies and things, which is absolutely brilliant. I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying that and mentally you're in a good place, as you've said there. In terms of your love for Burnley, you mentioned the fact that you still love the club now. How proud are you to see them holding their own in the Premier League and just how good a manager is Sean Dyche? Because for me, he's one of the most underrated managers in, in British football. Yeah, I mean, Sean's done an absolutely fantastic job. 
Um, you know, I mean, for Burnley Football Club, you know, the size of the town and everything else, to be a Premiership club uh, is fantastic. Um, obviously, the rewards that they've got now, you know, the money that's come in, you know, Burnley have got a completely new training ground. They spent £10 million on the training ground, which is still in the same place. So, yeah, Sean's done a, an absolutely unbelievable job. Um, and, and, yes, I'm certainly proud of what he's achieved at the club and, 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 and the, you know, the, the position Burnley are in now. I think Stan Turner should take a hell of a lot of credit because we stand up Burnley right to the absolute, you know, we were one goal off the uh, playoffs, you know, for the Premier League, you know, the, the championship playoffs, and we, we got so close, you know, to nearly being a Premier League side. Um, but Sean's come in, obviously, and he's been here seven years now. He's done a fantastic job, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, of course I'm proud. It's always different, you know, it's a different kind because when, you, when you're a player and when you're, you're actually on the field, you know, actively making a difference, uh, it's a different feeling. I'm still very proud, obviously, but it's a different kind of proud because I'm not, you know, it's nothing to do with me, as it were. But yeah, of course, I'm still a Burnley fan and always will be. Um, I was doing, uh, last season, I was doing, not last season, oh, sorry, yeah, last season doing the Radio Lancashire commentary of Burnley game, Tormund away. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's fantastic what they've done. I think with my coaching badges, I'd love to be, you know, down there working with the strikers, you know, um, and maybe that's something that might happen in the future. It remains to be seen. At least I'm qualified. Up. I put in for the under-18s last season, um, which was a full-time post. But they get somebody else got it, obviously. Obviously, you've got to be well in with, um, you know, with the managers and what have you at the time. But at least I've got the qualifications behind me. I think I missed the boat a little bit. I think if I'd have done this straight away when I came out of football, you know, it had just been a action. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we all have dreams and, and hopefully that's my dream. I got the opportunity of being a player for Burnley Football Club. So you never know. I mean, um, at some stage, um, getting an opportunity to be on the coaching staff there would be fantastic. Um, yeah, Sean's done a magnificent job, though, yeah. Something else you've done is, is is you've been involved in a wee bit of punditry and, and writing columns over the years linked to, to kind of Burnley as a club as well. Is that something that you enjoy doing? Because I know what it's like for me as a fan. I love hearing from ex-players that have, have played, played at the, the club that they're writing about because sometimes they've got the best insight into into what the club's like. Yeah, I enjoyed the commentary. I still do. Um, I'll be honest with you. I still do bits and bats, you know, on the... Uh... They, they have a, a thing now called Claret's Player, I think, where they, they, the supporters can subscribe and one thing. So I've covered a few games this season as well. And yeah, you enjoy it because you're watching games. It's what we know as ex-players because we've been there. Uh, and it's good, you know, you get your points across. And, um, and you know, obviously Premier League football, who wouldn't want to watch that? So yeah, I've, I've enjoyed that as well. Uh, I don't think there's any... The next... How can I put it? As a player, there's no better feeling as a player than playing and as a striker than scoring you know the next best thing now for me is coaching I, I, I've I, grown to love coaching and passing on the knowledge and everything else um, you know to, to uh, I think to be a really good coach I think you've got to have played I think that players who are coming through who are like 18, 19 or whatever and are, are young pros at the club need to know that you've done it as well and that you've played at a good level and for me to be able to say to a young player, 
I played for Celtic and 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 or you know and and I was top scorer there and I scored in the old firm and 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 I won a golden boot or whatever. I think that's crucial, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm just hoping that um, you know I look after myself and keep myself fit and hopefully in the future, who knows? But um, yeah, I mean, commentating was good as well, yeah. And uh, and as you can tell. Uh, with this podcast, I can certainly talk. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but that's what it's all about. And I'd like to finish with around the quick fire questions. First of all, being the best players you played with. Best players I played with. Well, I mean, you're looking at Paul McStay, John Collins, um, certainly Dean Windus when I was at Hull. Um, let me think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you Dean Windus from Hull. Bernie Slavin at Middlesbrough. I'll have to say Paul McStay, John Collins at uh, Celtic. Um, Neil Redfern at Barnsley. Marcus Stewart and Darren Bullock at Huddersfield. And Burnley, I mean, likes of Steve Davis, Robbie Blake, Glenn Little. You know, I've played with some really, really good players. I've been lucky. What about the best players you've played against? Well, back in the day, most of the big centre-halves I played against, two minutes into the game, will tell me they were going to break my legs and knock me out. So I'll be honest with you, um, I played against some really good players, Rio Ferdinand uh, or whatever, but you can, I mean, most of the centre-halves I played against, week in, week out, uh, where they were allowed to tackle back in the day and get a free one, will kick lumps out if they got the chance. So I don't know, there's too many to mention, really. Tony Adams, um, you know, I played against Tony Allen, played against Arsenal. Um, you know, I mean, Keon and Adams had kicked you all over the show, but they were great defenders as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say them too, really. Who would you say was the most underrated player you played with? The most underrated player? Probably. Um, hmm, good question. Um, I would say, I'd say people like, I mean, Glenn Little at Burnley. So Glenn had an unbelievable amount of skill. Um, Glenn believed in himself big time. Don't, don't get me wrong with that. Glenn knew he was a player. But um, I'm not sure about how good, I know how good he was. You know, I'd see him every day in training. He was unbelievable. Um, I think Glenn underrated because for me, he could have gone right to the very top. He could have played up at Celtic, could Glenn. And I wouldn't say that about a lot of players, but Glenn could have. So I'd say, yeah, most underrated, Glenn Little, Burnley. Who would you say was the best manager for you in your career and why then? The best manager? Yeah. Uh, Stan Turner. Stan Turner, Burnley. Who, who brought Burnley back from um, the absolute depth of almost going into uh, League Two to uh, literally on the verge of the Premiership in a very short space of time. So definitely Stan Turner for me. Most inspirational and I captain? Had some good managers. I had some... Sorry? So most inspirational captain? Most inspirational captain. It's got to be Paul McStay, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah. Absolute leader. Um, but in a way, not like, you know, Paul was a leader, 
and he got so much respect, but he'd, he'd do it quietly. But the, he just had ultimate respect off everyone because, of, you know, he's, he's, his example, you know, Paul led by example, so definitely Paul Was there ever a club that came in for you or a, a move that could have happened that never came off that you look back now that you've retired and think, I wish I had that chance? Um, you don't tend to tell you, you know, so I'm not that sure. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. When Celtic comes in for you, and you, you know, you... I mean, when I got when I got told Celtic could come in for me at first, I mean that was just beyond belief. Um, because you, you've got to, be, as a young lad, you've got to believe in yourself. And um, you know, having come through the ranks at Hull to, be, to suddenly start thinking about club right Celtic, you know, I mean um, that was good enough for me. Trust me. I'm interested to know. It's probably an obvious question, but I'm asking you anyway. What's your favourite goal of your career and why? My favourite goal, um, I think every club you play for, you need to get off the mark ASAP, you know, and um, I've been very, very fortunate that, I mean, I scored on my debut for Hull, I scored on my debut for um, Middlesbrough, I scored in my second game for Celtic, we won 1-0, we beat Dundee and I scored, um, I scored on my home debut for Burnley. Um, we won one nil as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Debut goals are very special because they take pressure off and get the ball rolling. You know what I mean? Um, I think me, one of my favourite goals. Burnley have just done a thing where they've shared it. Where um, I do a cross turn in the box and smash it into the top left hand corner. But I mean, I'll be honest with you. As a striker, you'll take anything. Whether it was a tapping from one yard or a thirty yarder, you know what I mean. A goal's a goal, because ultimately, as a striker, you know you've got to have that hunger for goals. That you know you want to, you know, trying to get twenty goals every season, and um, you know, and any goal for me. But yeah, the, the Croyd the Croyd term on at Burnley was, uh, was decent. <laughs> I'm interested to ask this. I'm expecting maybe the answer to be quite obvious, but who would you say was the biggest character you played with, and why? The, the biggest character. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we, we had some big characters. I mean, like, there's not many bigger characters than Charlie Nicholas and Frank McAvenny. Um, we had a lad called Andy Morrison at Huddersfield, who were a big character. Big Billy Whitehurst at home, massive character. Um, you know, ran the dressing room. But I, I think you, you're not getting bigger than um, Charlie Nick and Frank McAvenny. So I'd say definitely them two. If you were still playing now, Andy, and you could play for any manager in world football, who would it be and why? Who would it be and why? Um, I think, I mean, listen, I'd love to have played in the Premier League for Burnley, so I'd, I'd probably say Sean Dash at Burnley. But, um, I mean, football's changed quite a bit, you know, since my day. Um, you're looking like, what, 16 years ago, and, and the game has changed so much. I mean, financially now, players are multi, multi-millionaires, you know, compared to what we were like. Um, you know, that aspect of it, you know, we've, I certainly missed the boat with that one. But I've got the memories and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still in more peace and, um, you know, I'm, I'm fit. 
Um, I look after myself for go out running every day and what have you. So, I, you know, I wouldn't change anything. But going back to your question, sorry, I've, I've just divulged again. Probably Sean Dash at Burnley because who won't want to play in the Premiership for their hometown club? Well, that's a great answer. And the last question, Andy, I'm putting you on the spot with this one. A five-a-side team from all the players you played with, who makes the team? Five-a-side team. I've got to say, Paul McStace, John Collins, um, Marlon Berry, Spurring Calls. Um, let me think. I need some defenders now, don't I? I need some defenders. Steve Davis, Burnley. We've got Paul McStay, John Collins. Yeah. Am I allowed to go in this myself? Of course you can. Well, I'm, I'm up front then. So there's me up front, John and Paul in midfield, Steve Davis at the back, Marlon in goal. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> not bad that. at all. And who would manage that team? It'd have to be Stan Turner. Brilliant. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on the Football CFB podcast. No problem, mate. Really enjoyed it. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave 